Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. We have been reviewing the applicants, and it is as we feared, Monsieur Rodin. We are the only two, perhaps, who are ready for this journey with you. Monsieur Vanderbilt, I think you will find that while many are interested, few may be able to secure their tickets as well as you might be able to. You'll be hearing from me. What did I do that for? What did, what did we do any of that for? I'm not afraid of living with myself being a bad person. What I'm afraid of is that none of the rest of you will be able to live with me. Manu and Donald start to climb up the scaffolding where the flying machine is hanging, basically, at this Mm -hmm. point. And the wind up near the craft almost forms into a few vaguely humanoid shapes. I'm not clear on what we're fighting. <laughs> are we fighting the thing? The wind, <laughs> you are yes, you are you are fighting you are fighting anthropomorphized wind. Oh, okay, we've got this. We need to go, we need to get down, we need to get down now. You feel hands of wind grabbing onto you and trying to rip you off the scaffolding and throw you to the ground. If we are walking this dark path, and if we are truly beyond the point of no return. At least we have company. Paris, December 8th, 1894. Manuka Soot was nervous, but excited. That's often how things were for her. Since she had moved from her small village to Paris, she had told herself that she would take advantage of every opportunity that came her way. That was the whole reason she moved to Paris in the first place, to live. But that didn't keep her from being nervous occasionally, especially when living meant doing something outside of her comfort zone. She made her way through the streets of the Latin Quarter, down alleyways and cutting across streets. She knew this area very well by this point, and it was certainly not her presence in this neighborhood that made her uncomfortable. It was the person she was going to see. An art student from the local school had reached out to her, someone whose name she vaguely recognized, but not someone she thought she'd ever met. He'd written her a letter, telling her how much he admired her beauty and her zest for life. He said that he had a project he was working on, and that he very much hoped that she might help him with it. It was all just a bit too familiar from a news liking. He wrote to her as if he knew her, but she was sure that if they'd ever met, it was only in passing. Had he been watching her? Following her? But no, she was being paranoid. She was well-known among the art students in this area, especially the Americans. Clearly, he had simply asked around, inquiring about models in the area, and someone had mentioned her. What was the worst that could happen anyway? All he wanted her to do was try on some jewelry. He had said that he needed to see how it wore. She could do that. Perhaps she'd even get a piece that she liked from him. And if anything felt off? Well, he had agreed to meet in a public place, so she could just leave. No harm done. Manu arrived at the cafe she was heading toward and entered. She internally breathed a sigh of relief when she saw a few others she knew and waved at them, flashing a brilliant smile. As she removed her coat, she scanned the cafe for the person she was meeting. It didn't take long for him to notice that she had arrived, and he got up quickly and walked over to her. Hi, Manu. Thank you so much for coming. I'm not sure we've ever formally met. I'm Calvin Leith.
Have any of you ever contemplated winning the lottery? Oh, like a like a like a like a power like Certainly. a huge Powerball Mega Millions, you know? Because it, it in real time right now, the 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 Powerball is up over a billion dollars right now. Have you thought about what it would be like <laughs> to win the lottery and or what you would do? Every time it's that big. Every time it's big <laughs> enough. Every t- actually, I shouldn't even say that. Every time I've purchased a ticket, which is. When it gets, I, it's always, it's one of those things that's really funny to me that like I won't buy a ticket until it's a billion dollars. If like three hundred million dollars w- isn't enough, that wouldn't <laughs> solve every problem I've ever had and the problems of every person I've ever loved all at once, and, the, and their children and their children's children. Nah, it's, it's got to be nine hundred million. It's got to be three times that. But every time I do it, there's a couple hours where I convince myself like not only is it a possibility that I. It, I could win. I'm going to win. And this is yeah, who I'll call first. And oh, this yeah. is what I'll do. Yeah. A <laughs> yes. certainty. A certainty. So what, so what, what is, what do you think the first thing you would do is, and you can, you can, you can right now, you can ignore any of the, you can ignore anything that's like, I'm going to help my family pay off their bills. Like, of course you will. Or well, but like, my yeah. own. Well, of course, of course. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that goes, without, that, that goes even more without saying. Uh, I would invest very, very heavily into like a recording space a studio space for shooting and like I would just have I would just make a production company of yeah. podcasts and movies and right just all of the things that all, all my friends I have so many friends who want to do that stuff and so many friends who are great at it and just haven't had that opportunity and like my dream has always been to start something that gives people that opportunity because I think you know there's probably a lot of great stories out there not being told so I would just it would be a heavy investment into that and then I would probably try to buy like an NHL team they don't seem all that expensive and that seems like a, <laughs> I have friends who like hockey like I'll buy the Columbus Blue Jackets and we'll have some, we'll have some fun amazing <laughs> That's is, the, is, this a, is this a thought that has been on anyone else's mind? Well, that's literally, I, it's funny that you say that just because I've start, just started watching Welcome to Wrexham. And so, okay, yeah, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is basically what like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Rob and Ryan did. They were like, oh, well, we're rich enough. Let's buy a how soccer much, team. Do you, do you know how much they spent? Is that like public knowledge? Uh, I believe so. I believe it's public knowledge. I don't, I don't remember. Um, but hold on. I'm, I'm literally just going to Google that right now. Um, two point five million. Oh yeah! Apparently. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah, total, very doable, very. Do- yeah, now, you might even be able to move up to like a League One like or like a championship side in the club after yeah, that. Of course. Like yeah. the Arizona Coyotes right now are valued at four hundred and fifty million, and the okay. Florida Panthers are five hundred million. So obviously, when you after you pay um, the bills and then like you have all of the well, now I invest this and there's this and this. Like it would take three years or so of investing that crazy money because. Nothing makes money faster than money. That's right. That's so, right. That's true. And if you put it with the right people, you have three times what you won. Like so, I it would it would be a minute, but there, that's the sports franchise. I feel like a guy could just buy into right now. Yeah, yeah. I think that's, other than think that's... overseas soccer, which I had. I mean, Tom, if you want one, just let me know. If I hit, just pick a team and they're all yours. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. I, yeah, I'll definitely root through some of the lower league sides just to pick out like a name that I like and be like, it's this one. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm sure. the sixth sure. best team in Kuwait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can finally buy the, uh, oh, what were they? The Morocco, the Marrakesh. Uh, oh, yes. <laughs> uh, I don't remember the name anymore. Me oh, well. Either. A FIFA fave. Yeah. Muskrats. Something like that. <laughs> Uh, Sarah, Chris, is this, uh, I, Chris, I saw you nodding before. Sarah, I feel like maybe this has never crossed your mind. 
Yeah, I have thoughts about Chris Gilbert. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I also thought the sports ownership round, but as a New York Red Bulls fan in Major League Soccer, I think I would try to seize the club back from their absent and faceless corporate ownership. Um, although the, that needs to be a quick one. I got to win the Powerball as soon as possible because MLS franchises are getting a lot more expensive. Yeah, so, yeah it's true. Lots well, of urgency the, there. Yeah, the, I think the next drawing is like Monday or something. So Yeah, well, that's perfect. I'll be there. Um, <laughs> Line it up. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think the, the literal first thing that I would do, and apologies if anyone I work with is listening to this, but I would quit my job immediately. Oh, yeah. and with like, n- not with any like real animosity, but you know, like a thanks. It's been real. I'm never I... thinking about this ever again. Yeah, that's yeah. it. That's, I'm sorry. The, the people who say I wouldn't quit my job are sociopaths. Yeah, I, yes, that is an I insane agree. thing to think. Yeah, if you're a billionaire or a multi-hundred millionaire, that you'd be like, ah, well, I'd still go to the office every day. What I would get bored wrong? otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. What no, went would wrong? you? <laughs> I, I have no doubt in my mind I would find enough things to do. Yes. yes. Um, yes. It would be yes. anything. I like we- we just record a nature of my game podcast every day because I just yeah. I and I could and I could and I could hire I could hire ten audio engineers to edit every single oh, episode. Yeah, we can be, we can be throwing content around. Professional <laughs> editors get a studio, all that good stuff. Or I like I, to think like I could motivate myself to like learn one of those you know tasks that I would hire someone to do or go back yeah. to school or something like that. Yeah. Like I, I think all of those things would be far more appealing and I would absolutely sign up to do. I think actually choosing between them would be the hard part. Yeah. Oh, you wouldn't go back to your job. Wow. <laughs> what a lazy guy. All right, so sad people. Sarah, tell us why money won't solve all our problems. Yeah, I no, I um, I feel like I've never actually been able to think seriously about the question because I truly like cannot fathom what it would be like to just have wealth like that. Like it's like okay, I would I would pay off all my loans. I would you know have like security for me and the people I care for. And then my first thoughts are always like I would have a killer wardrobe. Like I would just go on like the <laughs> best shopping spree and then my mind really can never get past that because it just seems so unfathomable (laughs) yeah but i'm like i don't know when i quit my job like maybe i would just be like the best dressed teacher out there i don't know (laughs) but then you would have but then you would have one but then you would have one stressful day and you'd be like why am i still doing this yeah why am i doing this the first iep meeting you go to and they're like well you know we actually have to you'd be like actually no i don't have to do any of this i have 875 million dollars in my bank account right now i'll give give the school i don't know (laughs) i'll give the school a million dollars and you can hire four more people to do what you're asking me to do (laughs) rename the school after me i'm quitting (laughs) i will say as much as readily as i would quit my job i do understand people whose work is a little bit more mission or I was thinking of people who are just working a nine to five. Oh, yeah. Just doing no. one of the many That's jobs that are just jobs. <clears throat> I, Chris, yes. you're, 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 Chris, you're saying that your, your, your PR job isn't mission driven for you? <laughs> well, yeah, in, in so many words. <laughs> I would quit my job with animosity. Everyone, like, if anyone from my job is listening to this right now, the couple of people that I have respect for at this at my workplace know who they are. <laughs> Everyone else. And the ones who know, know it's not them now. 
So I've, uh, I may have said this before to some of you, I've spent a lot of time, you know, analyzing all of the angles of winning a, a huge, like, Powerball jackpot. Um, I've read all of the research <laughs> about what you're supposed to do. What? Have any of you spent any time oh, in that? Like, oh, the, the, yeah. like, That's the process that you it's go like the, through? Yeah. Yes, My the, brother has it on. Yeah. I've, he's like, he's he's done it too, because he'll be like, well, you, you'd call me and you'd, I'd call this guy and this guy and we'd yep, invest yep. in this and this. We're good. Well, and for for many for many many years, because one of the one of the main pieces of advice is you you know your first two calls. Well, first of all, you you go to a hotel, and then your first two calls are to a, a financial mm. manager and a lawyer. And for years, I didn't have a lawyer that I felt close enough with to be that call. But then I met Tyler, and now mm-hmm. I have that lawyer. So mm-hmm. I'm really set. I'm in a, I'm in a, I'm in a very good position now. Um, and our Sarah and my Sarah and Chris and my friend Matt is also a lawyer now too. So I, I have yeah. I have options when it comes to law. I know so, I'm like okay, I'm creating a plan. Thank you. Keep going. No, no offense, Matt. I think I would call Tyler before I would call Matt because Matt would just be giving me advice about what to do with the money, and Tyler, Tyler yeah. would actually get something done. Tyler's a reasonable man, a sober-minded man. <laughs> um. But yeah, I just I find the whole thing fascinating. I also have, you know, there there are often articles published about people who win the lottery that then lose all their money, mm-hmm. right? And so yeah. I think that I think the going kind of theory is that like actually it doesn't make you happier if you win the lottery because you lose all your money. Bullshit. Mm-mm. Can't fix bullshit. stupid. Bullshit. Can't fix bullshit. stupid. <laughs> money can't buy brains, unfortunately, the, but right. it can people, buy happiness. The people who win the lottery <laughs> and are able to live ha- uh, happy lives after that, they just don't talk to the media. Exactly. Yes. That, they yes. have exactly. no desire exactly. to tell anybody about what they're doing. That's right. what happens. Someone hear about it, and there's no like, exactly. There's, yeah, <laughs> there's someone... no human interest story in there. The the human interest right. story is in the person who want got it all. Won everything and then lost, lost it all again. Yeah. Exactly. I know someone who won a a not a it's a nine hundred million, but not but also not like five hundred thousand. I think it was like thirteen million. I know someone okay. who won around that amount and lived the entire rest of their life just fine. Everyone yep. like was able to take care of things around them, and like it's you know I'm sure the money is still circulating somewhere in the world. And it wasn't like a four hundred million dollar jackpot yeah. prize. It was a it was a huge chunk of money, but it sustained 30, 40 years of life and a lot beyond that. So cool. Would you go through the effort of trying to hide your name when accepting it and try to keep it from as many people as possible? Not no. the money, but keep but keep the keep the the reality that you won the lottery away from uh, out of this people's is- heads. I have actually thought about this because I have a great excuse not to. As a Chris Smith, I could just tell everybody. That's true. Oh, yeah, good for that guy. It's another Chris Smith. His life must be awesome That's a good point. So as long as I don't have to give, like, my address or anything or take a photo or something. Not a lot of other Sarah Lovejoys out there, I think. I've also been. There's at least one, but. Not to to be depressing, but I've also been, you know, like, so poor for so long that I know who loves me and who are my real friends. So, like, I would, like, the the people who start showing up again, I'd be like, oh, you're only here because of the money, man. Like, there's been 15 years of none. Opportunities. Yeah, Yeah. like, these people are good and I'll. I'll keep taking care of them forever because they weren't around when the money wasn't there. And anyone who comes around after, very easy to just be like, I get out of here. I would like to have the wherewithal to like keep it quiet and have people not know. But I would be like, oh, my God, this happened to me. Like everyone I know. 
I'd yeah. get to school and be like, students, <laughs> guess what? Like, I couldn't, I could not keep a secret. No. <laughs> I think I, I would try. I think I would try. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be able to pull Same. it off, but I think I would, I would try to keep it very, very, very tight. Not the fact That's that cool. I had money. Because I, you know, I wouldn't be like I wouldn't be like hoarding it. I w- I feel like I would be very generous with it. But I think the fact that I won the lottery and how much money I had, I think I would. Yeah. I think people. Yes. Who, I think friends That's of mine smart. would would know that for some reason I my financial situation increased Came in the world. But I don't think that I would I would try to not talk about. You it just have to be yeah. like, yeah, Patreon yeah. really blew up. Yeah. A lot of people yeah. really were into season <laughs> nine. <laughs> when when that happens and you say that, I will believe you that your Patreon. Sure, I will not. Sure, no. <laughs> when Eric's flying us all for like a, a European cruise and he's just like, yeah, guys, a lot of people really listeners. like cold as ice. Tommy was right. <laughs> New Zealand, was listeners. Everyone in New Zealand That's is right, listening from the, from to the this N- podcast. From, from the NZ web fest. Yeah. Yeah. Hello out there. That's a little accent. Yeah, that's the, <laughs> say, that's the actual, that's the real thing to do with the money. It's like, all right, we'll go to all of the like web fests around the world. Yeah. That, yes. like, yeah. Yeah. Gets Travel the web fest circuit. Yeah. We spent all it. our money and 17 more people listen to the podcast. Nice work. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to transition from that uh, cheery topic to what I think will be another uh, cheery conversation to start this, uh, to start this next episode. Our art students uh, in the process of trying to figure out what the hell is going on with this uh, flying aircraft that arrived in Paris earlier that day met up back again at the Sacre Corps Basilica and Manu and Donald started climbing up the scaffolding to see if they could look at the airship a little bit and they were set upon by uh, anthropomorphized wind, uh, (laughs) some sort of creatures that didn't seem to want them to be anywhere near the craft. Creatures that they think now uh, likely are powering the craft um, for whatever reason, you don't know. Uh, but they were able to escape. They were able to make their escape and ran uh, away from the Basilica and down into the neighborhood nearby. And so we do have a little bit of, uh, of, of shopkeeping that we need to deal with here at the end of this combat here. So you blew away the uh, the, the spread here. So in, in Yellow King combat... Um, you, you know, I, we compare each of your six, your roles to the difficulty level. We add and subtract all of the the spread there, and you, you're shooting for a, a spread of zero or higher. You don't want a negative spread. That means you lose. You don't achieve your goal. In this case, uh, the spread was twelve plus twelve um, because you can't get higher than three um, on any one on any one roll. So all of you had at least a plus three spread there. So you 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 were easily able to make your escape, and both, and this is, I think, why Tommy actually spent the three points that he spent. Um, both Manu and Monty uh, actually exceed. It went over three. They, they, they. Uh, the 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 difficulty level in this case for an escape was three, and so both Whoa. Manu and Monty. Uh, Manu got an eight. Monty got a seven, and so each of you either gets to. Take a push, an extra push, or, and I'm guessing this is what Monty's going to do, you can refresh a pool that is not fighting athletics or health. So you can fully, you can you can go back to your max in a pool that is not fighting athletics or health. Amazing. So, so composure, um, you, could, you could technically re- do re- composure. Yes. yes. Yep, yep. Is that uh, what you're going to do, Tommy? I... 
I'm in a precarious situation because I also have no pushes outside of my dead-eyed stare. Oh, that's true. But I think I, I think the safe thing to do here, because, and this is so, I'm, I apologize for metagaming this a little <clears throat> bit, but... Needed, needed to be because done, I Because <laughs> I know that facing horrors specifically imposes composure checks. Yep. And that's something that as we go further into the adventure, I think we're more likely to encounter the further yep. the deeper yeah. we go. Uh, I got to refresh composure. I Smart think. man. What a, that's that's metagaming. That's good metagaming. That's, <laughs> like the people who play this game at home or the people who play games like this and are, are listening for that part of it are like, ah, that guy. Good job. He knows. He knows. Yeah. <laughs> well, as soon Robin, as he said he was Robin spending Laws three, I was proud. like, yes, he is. Uh, as soon as he said he was spending three, I was like, I know, I know what this guy's up to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, Sarah, would you like to take an extra push or would you like to refresh one of your pools? So actually, my the only three pools I've dipped from are the ones I cannot use. So I will be taking a push. All right. Nice. So, so you, you now have three. three pushes? Yes. So nice. when any of you need some inspiration. It's like getting the extra challenge in the NFL when you sure. get the third yeah. challenge. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that pushes are investigative and not um, uh, for combat or uh, other kind of physical uh, tests. Remember that they're investigative. So they can get you an extra something out of uh, the use of one of your investigative abilities. And it doesn't always cool. have to be Thank when you. I offer it. You can feel free to say, "Can I use a push to blah blah blah?" Okay. And I might say yes. Not to relitigate, but could we? Could she have used a push to get the pigeon to go to the top of the Eiffel Tower? Uh, I, maybe, but that feels <laughs> that, that feels outside the right. In, in a in a world of in a world of creatures made of wind. I don't think the pigeon in any world would go to the top of the Eiffel Tower. Okay, we can finally put the pigeon to bed. It's it's been. Oh, the creatures would have like swatted it down. Yeah. No, one dead pigeon. Get out of here. Yeah. Um, so okay. actually, I would love Tommy if you could delve into Monty's mind here for sure. for a moment before we pick back up and and just talk through why do you think that this this um, encounter with these creatures has actually bolstered his ability to deal with um, any horrors that might... Why has it increased his composure? Uh, I think there's two primary reasons here. And that is that encountering them and then successfully getting away from them, despite a few scratches and bruises, reminds him that these are... This is all stuff that they've dealt with before. And despite how terrifying it all is, and despite how still seemingly unknowable so much of it is, I think there is a little bubble of confidence that is slowly building that they can actually deal with these things. It doesn't necessarily mean the outcome is always going to be great, but they can encounter these things and survive and live mm -hmm. and learn more about what's going on. That that is possible. Mm -hmm. So it's that. And then I think the other thing is sort of a little strange, but it's that... Monty has become more comfortable dealing with things that are otherworldly than he has dealing with people that he doesn't like, yeah. than yeah. like people day to day. <laughs> he lost his mind and shot a doctor for like, who was it? I don't know if he was a good guy or not, like, but all he was really doing was spying on people. It wasn't like he committed some sort of grave crime, but he, he murdered a man like he's he's getting less comfortable dealing with people he doesn't care for and more comfortable dealing with things that are just alien. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. So the four of you run away. I assume at a certain point you all kind of realize that you're no longer being pursued and stop and collect yourselves. So that's where we're going to pick back up. 
actually, sorry, before I before we get to that, one other thing I want to um, just a rules thing that I want to reiterate because we're getting to this point now. If at any point during a combat you are meant to take a toll and you no longer have any points in health, fighting, or athletics to take that toll, you then take the minor injury card. So just be aware of that, that that's how those threats ramp up. So now we can pick back up as the four of you have realized that you're not being pursued anymore um, and you are in the streets of Momotra. I think the first thing Donald does is just kind of like like put his hands on like Manu's shoulders and be like, are you all right? Yes, yes, I, I am. Yes, we are all right. Thank you for your help. But <laughs> Thank we you. We survived. Barely. And she's like, what was that? Hi. Wind sprites, pixies, evil pixies. What was that? Nothing we've seen before. I think Percy um, sort of swoops in here and goes straight to Manu and is just like, oh, are you okay? Just let About me know time. that you're okay. <laughs> and she is a little miffed, but she's like, yes, yes. Donald, he, he helped us to stay safe. And I think he, at he, that moment, like, he just kind of, like, Donald, like, a little moment of levity, just kind of gives Percy a look and, like, puts his eyebrows up. And, just, like, <laughs> <laughs> and probably laughs maybe a little harder than he should because he's, you know, he's not doing great. But I think he just kind of gives, like, a ha! And I think Percy's a, a little uh, friendlier this time, given the brush with potentially death and sort of claps Donald on the back and says, I'm glad to see that you're well as well. And he nods and, and kind of walks, not away, but just, you know. Doing his wandering thing, a little away from the group, looking around. Yes, we're all, uh, I think, doing a bit better now. I, uh, for all that we've encountered so far, I can't say we've ever seen anything like whatever those things were. Uh, maybe they are evil pixies, Manu, I don't know. And I think Manu is starting to realize now, like, how real this is. Like, Monty gave her the push to get her involved and was like, we can learn more and we can stop this you know, like, we could potentially prevent bad things from happening. And she's remembering, like, what she's seen. So she'll she'll kind of pause and be like, Monty, I, I, I do believe you that that perhaps we can prevent these bad things from happening. I have lost people whom I care for due to these unexplainable events, and, and I am with you in full. Can we say at that moment, perhaps, uh, Manu notices some of the blood that would be on <laughs> Monty's, <laughs> probably on his pants oh, leg? Sure. Oh, yeah, so, how yeah, do you think she I, reacts I to that? I am with you in full, and then sees it, and is like, "What? Don't, where are you coming from?" I, I'm sorry. Uh, we, uh, I, I simply uh, fell a little earlier, and I injured my leg. I'll, I'll be all right, though. I think we'll be we'll be fine. I just need to wrap it up. I think Donald hears that part of the conversation that kind of circles back around, and just like waits till Monty like takes a couple steps away. And then, like, earnestly puts his hand back on Manu's shoulder and just looks at her and just says, like, don't. Pl please. Please. For your own sake. Just don't. Manu turns to Monty and says, prove it. Show me your injury card. <laughs> yeah, no. Well, like, she, she's torn because it, she does not believe him. And if he had truly cut his leg, she would be like, I know how to fix things like this. Again, I grew up on a farm. But, like, she's like, I don't, you don't want me to help you. That's not what happened. So she, um files it away. So do you think the four of you are going to go somewhere to sit down and decompress? Um, you know, I think Donald has an appointment later. Monty may want to uh, uh, spend his evening trying to forget a bit about what happened for the day, but do you, are you going to kind of come together to figure out what to do next before any of that happens? I think Monty is simply going to, to say um, I intend to spend some time at 
uh, a local establishment uh, having a few drinks. Anyone who would like to join me, I am happy to have you. Um, otherwise, uh, I'm happy to reconvene in the morning. Hopefully, receive these invitations and we can see about whatever this auction has in store for us. I think Donald will <laughs> nod and, like, he'll stay with Monty till he has to go. Manu is like, ah, bon. I was going to suggest a nightcap myself. We shall go and Percy, perhaps after that you, you can send me, send me home in a carriage. Yes, yes, of course. Like, not rude, just... <laughs> as, as Perhaps usual, you might I, do something like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I think Percy is just... He'll go along and he sort of says, um, yes, I'll have a drink or two before I begin my nightly social agenda. Just kind of leaves that open there. Okay. Um, so, uh, are you going to stay in Mamatra? No. By um, the way, La, La Pina Gilles, the place that you're going, um, mm -hmm. Donald is in Mamatra. So, mm. could we go somewhere that's not there but i could still get like if timing wise like can we go somewhere that's not in a mantra and still get i could still get there at 11 or no yeah 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 monty is happy to drink wherever so if don yeah. like suggests somewhere um he's happy to go along wherever you know a nearby place or whatever is percy do you want to take the group back to the uh cabaret of death Yes, yeah, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get a kick out of that at this exact moment. <laughs> this is yes, the time. Yes, for sure, for sure. Uh, so Percy says that he knows he knows a good place and uh, takes you all there. And it's called it's called the Cabaret of Death. It is it is both um, touristy, but also in a in a well done way. But the all of the <laughs> servers are dressed like morticians. The tables are the tables are coffins. <laughs> There are kind of skulls and other bones on the walls. You know, it's 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 uh, it's cheesy, but also like pretty well done and, and a little unsettling. Restaurant on Times Square, got it. Yeah, it's Jekyll and Hyde. <laughs> <laughs> I think they walk in and and Don looks at Percy, kind of like in a, in a almost half impressed, oh but still half not being nice, and just like looks and just. You are a, a sick-minded individual, Mr. Vanderbilt. <laughs> I think Percy, since since he has no idea what heaviness they've encountered, it's again, it's a complete misread of the situation, and so he thinks, <laughs> I just thought we should go somewhere where we might have a laugh. And he gestures at all like this macabre, like <laughs> grotesque, like dead stuff around them. Yeah, I think Donald looks and at Monty like, you fucking kidding me with this. Uh, <laughs> Manu is like cheersing them all to life. Yeah. Like, we yeah. survived. To life. Mr. Vanderbilt, can I get a strong drink here? You certainly can. I, then I love it. And I clap him on the shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Manu, you said you're going to spend some time for a while and then head home? Yeah, head home. And I think she might um, want to call Rose and just... She feels um, almost guilty, like, getting back into these wild things that hurt her friend without telling her. Okay. Um, how much do you tell her? That... I think she would be like, oh, I was spending time with Percy, and he asked me to see something magical or something amazing, and it was actually something scary somewhat like the ice queen that they had seen mm -hmm. and that she's getting involved because she truly believes like bad things will happen if she does not. And she's like, I will keep you posted. I'm not going to tell you details because I refuse to involve you, but I want you to know that that's what's going on. Okay. I think she, I think she trusts your judgment to say mm -hmm. to stay away. But she also reminds you that if you need something that she, she'll be there. Sounds good. Okay. Anything else you want to do before you call it a night? 
Um, no, and she, it's not usual for her to like go to bed this early or like mm-hmm. really call it a night, but like it was a a big day. Yes. Percy, what about you? So uh, at a certain point, you call a carriage from Manu. Depending on how late you stay, at some point, Donald departs. Um, what's your plan? I think Percy's plan is a couple of things. I think first, he's going to hand Monty some of his heavier, darker, more serious, and actually pretty good poetry. This, You know, the stuff that sort of hints at his concerns about his imminent death and that sense of foreboding. Um, because I think he's trying to connect with Monty. I think he felt that, you know, he feels a little bit closer to both of them. And I know he's always sort of sought their approval. So I think he's going to do that more earnestly than the last time he asked him to read his work. And I also think he's going to wait around at the Cabaret of Death for a while because the last time he was there is when Casilda appeared to him. Mm-hmm. And I think he still associates, it's only been a couple weeks, so he still associates this space with her. And I think she's on his mind over the past couple days as all of this is going on. And I think if they're, if it sounds like they'll stay, like Donald will leave while Monty and, and Percy are still there. So just to kind of quickly play that out, I think Donald would, you know, have a couple drinks, nothing crazy, just kind of sit with Monty, probably not talk much, but I think that he would get up, kind of look at Percy and like very, very sternly and very, but like with a little bit of tenderness, as much as he's capable, just look at Percy and be like, look after Manu, please. And then he'll look at Monty and then kind of with a little more salt in his voice, be like, and you look after him. <laughs> I'm just gonna give Don a nod. And he walks out too oft off to his adventure. Awesome. Um so uh is your plan, Monty, to um kind of spend the night into the early morning? I actually I, I think a couple of things here. Number one, do you have a moment where I'm reviewing Percy's writing? Mr. Vanderbilt, you do have some surprises left in you, do you don't you? Yes, yes I do. I uh you know, I live a certain lifestyle, but this is the sort of work that I actually take seriously. The other stuff is just just a distraction, just sort of playing a role, shall we say. Well, Mr. Vanderbilt, I do have some, a few, um, genuine criticisms, ideas for ways in which you might be able to improve this, but I also have the name of a local uh, literary magazine who I think would be very interested in this, if you are interested. Yes, yes, of course, that would be fantastic. And I think Percy looks at what Monty is reading here and notices a couple of lines sort of at the bottom of the page that, again, he doesn't remember writing and are particularly grim and exceptionally alarming to him. Yeah. After some of this kind of reviewing, uh, etc., Monty is going to... He, he does have some drinks, but he actually stops himself. Uh, I think he surprises himself by stopping Uh, earlier than he thought he was going to. He doesn't get blackout drunk or anything. He has some drinks, um, and then he he pauses and takes out a piece of paper, um, and he will... So he will write a note to Francis. Mm -hmm. um, And it's just... It's not very long. It's just a short message, uh, because he knows, he's certain that she is aware, like, it's the talk of Paris, what's happened so far, mm. and, and so he's sure that she knows about the telegrams and all of this business going on, and he just lets her know that uh, she needn't worry about it, but he, that he and Donald intend to 
get to the bottom of what's happening and we'll we'll be letting her we'll let her know uh, about whatever it is that they find out whatever they encounter after all of this uh, has wrapped up great and i think you also would know uh that francis is spending this weekend at the the uh the mansion of the duchess de rudier uh painting her portrait as as was agreed about a month ago and so right. uh, yeah, she yeah. may not even be aware because she's go- she's going to be so focused on this piece that she really thinks might advance her career yeah that makes sense but i feel like she would be upset if she, <laughs> she came certainly, out find out all this had happened and <laughs> Um, and Don and Monty had gotten involved without letting her, at least, at least informing her of what they were doing. So yeah, yep. he'll just write her a quick note. And then, uh, yeah. And he, at, at the point that he starts writing, he stops drinking. Okay. Percy, is there a stopping point for you or does it, does your, does your night take you, uh, into the early morning? I think Percy, um, he spends a while there sort of waiting, um, for Casilda sh- to show up even, after Monty leaves. Um, and I think afterwards he sort of makes his usual circuit of the variously wretched clubs and spaces mm-hmm. in the area that he knows um, and returns home in sort of the early morning. Okay. Sounds good. All right. So we are going to shift over to Monsieur Donald Braith as he uh, attends his 11 p.m. appointment at Lapina Gilles, which means the nimble rabbit, by the way. <laughs> I was um, thinking nice. that. <laughs> And it uh, the the sign on the door is a uh, is a rabbit jumping out of a frying pan. Nice, I like it. Um, <laughs> but you would you would also know that this place, um, and up until recently, was known as uh, at, at one point early even even longer ago it was known as the the place the assassins meet, and then uh, it it uh, changed to the cabaret of assassins. But it is it is still even though uh, art students do have started to kind of invade the space. It's very much a place where um, the underworld thrives. Ah, it's not fully um, gentrified yet. It has not. No, it is not fully gentrified <laughs> yet. And I think you go in and it's extremely. You know, it, it, there's there's no there's no hint of luxury in here, and it almost seems like. Not only the corners of the bar are like dark and secluded like any corners of bars would be, but it feels like almost every space in there is like covered in a little bit of shadow so that nobody can really see what exactly is going on anywhere quite around them in this place. Uh, What do you do when you get in there? I think he kind of looks around uh, and probably the the invitation didn't say to go anywhere specific, right? Mm Mm-mm. Nope, just said to come to this place at 11 p.m. and it said come alone. So I think he'll walk. Is there like a bar where he could just order a drink? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like he just goes over to the bar, orders a a glass of wine, and then just leans on the bar, sees what's going to happen. All right. So it feels like a few minutes later. You know, you're not really paying so much attention to the time. You're kind of you look down at your wine glass. You look up at the bartender, kind of paying attention to what they're doing. Nobody else really sits down next to you. You know, you kind of look around. It's hard to really see anybody sitting at the tables. And maybe you look down at your wine glass again, and you look up, and now there is someone sitting next to you. And it's it's almost as if the scene has somewhat changed. The bartender seems to have walked away out from behind the bar somewhere else. And because of the way the shadows fall in this bar, it seems like you and this person 
are in there alone, even though you know that that's not the case. It's a kind of harsh-looking, pale woman with dark hair, and she's wearing this very luxurious but very stiff dress. You know, it has kind of harsh shoulders. Um, you know, it doesn't really kind of wrap around her body. It, it, it is more kind of, kind of statuesque, um, but very luxurious. And she says, Donald Braith, I'm glad that you accepted my invitation. I'm not usually one for these late night uh, rendezvous, but it seemed intriguing enough. Do you know who I am? <sighs> no. No, I do not. I think you're hiding a bit of your suspicions, though, Donald, but I'll play along. My name is Camilla. Does that mean anything to you? <sighs> I believe the name has passed through my, my, my ears over these past few weeks, months. Tell me what you know. <sighs> I know that I am in the middle of some sort of grand cosmic conflict that I never asked to be a part of, that I never accepted any invitation to, uh, but as I understand it, you and your sister stand on opposite sides of this war that has consumed me, consumed those that I love. So, yes, I, I suppose you were right. I was hiding some suspicions. I, I do know at least a little of you. You flatter me, Donald. Grand cosmic war that... Might be a little overwrought for a silly little game, but perhaps, perhaps it has gained steam. I do apologize for wrapping you up in it, but sometimes that's just how things are. We're a lot alike, you and me. Do you know that? We're, we're quite a bit alike. Mademoiselle, there are things about me that I did not know uh, until... Just a few short hours ago, things that I am disgusted with, and worse yet, uh, there's a, there's a part of me that is is not disgusted by these things, rather excited, if not reveling in them. So I don't doubt that there is some similarity between myself and you, though I can't say I understand it. You don't appreciate subtlety, do you, Donald? It's never been a strong suit. I don't either. Both of us, we know what we want. We go towards what we want without trying to hide it. What is it that you want, Donald? I just want my sister back. And she kind of closes her eyes, bows her head, and like she knew what the answer was going to be, but is, is kind of touched to hear you say it. I know, Donald. You thirst for some sort of justice. Justice for yourself, for your friends, and especially for your sister. I, too, want justice. There's no gray in this world, Donald. There's black and white. There's right and wrong. But achieving that justice, gaining that justice for those that we want to see justice done, it may require self-sacrifice. Is that something you think you can handle, Donald? <sighs> Mademoiselle, I, I've self-sacrificed already. There's, there's, damn it, I'm, I might as well already be dead. Not yet, Donald. Not, not yet. I still believe you have a role to play. 
Donald, I'll be honest with you. As I said, I don't like subtlety. I would like your help. I'm listening. I would like your help, but I won't ask for it right now. I want you to be able to trust me, Donald. I don't know if I can even trust myself. I I have spent the entire evening reliving a moment of violence and rage, and all the while suppressing the urge to give in again and again and again to feel that release sickens me. I wouldn't I wouldn't ask me for any help if I were you. Well, I'll take my chances. And as a sign of goodwill, and at that point she kind of reaches, she like lifts her hand up, and from her pinky finger she slips off a gold ring with a red band on it, and she slides it over on the bar to you and says, as a sign of goodwill, a gift. I have one just like it. I know you do. I thought you might. Do you take it? The new one? Meh, why not? Puts it in his pocket. <sighs> what next? I only ask that you do what you already want to do. Find yourself, find your way onto the airship. And Donald nods and he stands up and then he stops and he looks back and he says to this person, Camilla, I don't know the rules of your game. I don't know what role I have to play in it, but you tell me it'll bring me what I thirst for, then I'll play it. I'll walk the path. But understand, I don't know how, I don't know what I do or where I'll do it, but any harm visited upon the heads of Montgomery Hogg Francis Anderson, Manu Kasut, or Percy Vanderbilt will be visited upon your head and the head of everyone you love who is important to you tenfold, or I'll die trying. I don't care. And he'll turn and walk. He doesn't care about the response. So she kind of chuckles as you're turning away and kind of over your shoulder, she shouts, Oh, and Donald, bring the ring with you. And then you step out of the bar. Where do you go from there? Probably home. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> probably a lot. And like, I think he knows, like he probably is tempted to go rouse Monty and kind of fill him in. But I think that also he's like, he doesn't know like what everybody else is thinking or what everybody else knows and doesn't know, like he, whatever. So I think that he'll just maybe be like, I'll play this one close to the chest. I'm just going to go home. She told me to try to go on the airship and like, I'm Mr. Cool Rational. I can absolutely just go about this without freaking out. I think we know what will is more likely to happen. But I think that in that moment, emboldened by like, he just talked tough. He feels like, I think he'll be like, all right, I'm going to play my role here and I'm just going to keep it to myself. And he just goes home. Okay. So Donald goes to sleep. You all wake up the following morning. It's dreary, dark, drizzling again. Manu, what do you do when you wake up? Yeah, she wakes up and has had some strange dreams just about things that she saw the night before and also like remembering her her aunt who who died in a strange magical kind of a way. And so she actually gets up and does some writing. 
Okay. Including like pieces of both of those. Great. Just some like journaling? Yeah, a little more speculative. Like it's a little bit of like um, creepy fiction, but very much including the events of her own life. Okay, cool. Cool. Percy, what about you? I think Percy, um, because telegrams are on the mind, um, will send a telegram to Genevieve and just kind of update her on what he's encountering. I think he's trying to be as independent as he can here, and he Mm -hmm. thinks this is kind of his adventure, but I think he also can't really, um, you know, not keep her in the loop. Yep. Um, And you also, you would know that Genevieve um, is uh, this weekend, is spending the weekend with a few other art students at the, uh, the estate house of Claude Monet outside the city. Um, she she received cool. her first invitation um, as part of their uh, their new mentorship. So I think um, I think Percy also is like a little bit miffed that she has this glamorous connection now, mm-hmm. and he hasn't quite broken through in the same way. So he's really going to play up everything. I mean, I know it's all it's the talk of the town, the dirigible and everything, but he's going to sort of embellish a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Monty, what about you? I think uh, Monty wakes up and the thing that, you know, you wake up sometimes and there's just some, there's things already in your head going through, there's stuff already going through your mind. And I think in this case, he wakes up and the thing that he's actually thinking about is Percy's writing, Um, because that's the thing, that's the one piece of normalcy really that's happened over the past couple of days. And so, and it's the thing that he feels most comfortable and most natural kind of doing It's writing is what he is comfortable with. It's the thing that brought him here in the first place. And so when he wakes up, he's just thinking about what he read. Um, some of the poetry that, that Percy showed him and is kind of like going over that again in his mind. But otherwise he, um, I'm going to assume that we picked, before we departed, we picked some sort of mutual meeting place for us. So So he will Mm -hmm. just otherwise kind of, uh, while he's thinking about that, just sort of get himself ready, sort of almost absentmindedly, um, and just thinking about the writing again. Okay. Before you leave, uh, there's a knock on your door. Uh, Yes, who is it? Uh, It's a little messenger boy, um, Mm -hmm. and he has two things for you. Um, he uh, He has a telegram. And he has a, a copy of um, a, the the most recent edition of of a newspaper, not the not the one that you're you've been writing for, kind of a more uh, middle of the road um, paper. Thank you, young man. I will just flip him a coin to tip. <laughs> he appreciates it. Thank you, sir. And runs off. Um, I will. Will I'm going to start with the, uh, the telegram. I think he feels like he knows what it is. And is almost a little hesitant to open it, so he starts with the paper. Okay. Emblazoned across the top of the front of the newspaper is uh, Death at Eiffel Tower. Um, And as you kind of read a little bit into it, you see that a a woman, a a local maid who was on her way home um, from her place of employment to where she lives, died somehow... Her body was found at the base of the Eiffel Tower, um, and it seemed like she suffered a great fall. Her her like her spine was snapped in a way that oh. seems like she fell from perhaps the top of the Eiffel Tower. And then also below the fold, there's a there is a, a an article about the arrival of the airship, but it's not at all sensationalized, right? Like it's probably not 
much like what yours may be in the coming days, kind of a feature on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but you notice that at the end, it says that local officials filed an injunction against Monsieur Radan and forced him to uh, move away from the Eiffel Tower and redock the airship just on the outskirts of the city at the Sacre Coeur. But that was something that happened during the day yesterday. Interesting. I really do need to write the rest of that piece. The paper will be looking for that. Um, hmm. I think he tears the article about the death at the Eiffel Tower out mm-hmm. and folds that up and puts that in his pocket. And then he will set the rest of the paper aside and he will open the telegram. Okay. Uh, the telegram is from the editor at the newspaper that you're working for. And it says, need you to do an interview today. Nadar in town wants to talk about airship. Hmm. And it gives a, a it gives a, a, a location and a time in the, in the early afternoon. Interesting. I thought it was and I think the as you're What's that, sir? I thought it was an invitation to the auction. You <laughs> hope so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I think right around as you're kind of reading that, you're pondering it, you look over maybe kind of through the door into Donald's room because the two of you live together. Oh, that's right. Uh, you look over right. through the door into Donald's room. Oh. And, you know, maybe his mind was elsewhere uh, the night before, and so he didn't shut the door. And Donald... You're not quite awake yet at this at this same moment and you're having a dream. Maybe you, you know, maybe you woke up early in the morning around 6 a.m. or so and you kind of fell back asleep. And so this is one of those like mm-hmm. very real morning dreams that you have, <laughs> yes, yes, um, yes. you know, after you've woken up from the night's sleep. And it's almost exactly the same scene as you experienced last night. You're sitting at a bar stool at the bar at the Lapina Gilles. Camilla comes in, you have the same conversation that you had last night, you get up and you start to leave, except when she says, Donald, make sure you bring the ring, instead of walking out the door, you turn back for just a second, and you see her snap her fingers, and Monty, as Donald is seeing this in his dream, you start to see Donald having a severe convulsion across his body in bed. He starts shaking and rattling the bed frame. And that is where we're going to end our story for now. Oh okay. Cool, dude. Ooh, great. <laughs> wow. Thankfully, I am medically trained. Yeah. Wow. I have not so had on me. I can't believe I didn't know you guys are roommates. Yeah. <laughs> they were roommates. <laughs> no, not. <laughs> She's like Abraham Lincoln, right? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws, both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy, along with the music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the Nature of My Game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast. <laughs>